open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The 2022 Sydney Autumn Racing Spectacular is about to take off. Looking ahead to Saturday 19th of February, Rose Hill Gardens will be the venue for three important Group 2s highlighted by the Hobartville Stakes, first run in 1925. A Hobartville named after the historic Richmond Stud Farm was originally a spring feature but was switched to the autumn in 1978 along with the Canterbury and Rose Hill Guineas and the Australian Derby. It's a good horses race, the Hobartville, this year carrying a purse of $400,000. Co-feature on the day will be the silver slipper stakes of 1100 with a purse of $250,000. First run in 1963, the silver slipper has been a stepping stone for seven golden slipper winners, some of which reach dizzy heights. Piero, Luscan Star and Baguette all turn silver into gold. The Rose Hill Gardens meeting on February the 19th will be just a sample of what's to come through the Sydney autumn. James MacDonald has been breaking records since his riding career began at age 15. He won his first race at Tarapa in 2007 on Johnny the Sand, trained by his father Brett. Nine months later, he won his first Group 1 on special mission in the New Zealand Breeders' Stakes. In his fourth season, he became the first New Zealand jockey to win 200 races in a season. He broke the record at 198 and finished up winning 207. It was Randwick trainer John O'Shea who persuaded James to complete his apprenticeship in Sydney and the rest is history. His career win tally is now drawing up very near to 2,000. He's been champion Sydney jockey five times and his Group 1 tally sits at an imposing 60. Halve that figure and you've got James McDonald's age. He celebrated his 30th birthday in early January. He turned the recent four-day Melbourne Cup carnival upside down, riding ten winners over the four days, including four Group 1s. To James, the most significant feature was the fact that his ten-win haul broke by one win, the previous record held by his idol, Brett Preble. There has been one significant low point in the James McDonald career to date and had put him fairly and squarely on his backside. An 18-month disqualification in 2016 for engaging in betting activities. When you interview a guest with such a stellar CV, it's hard to know where to start and where to finish. So let's start by saying good morning, James McDonald. Morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to have you, James, and thanks for your time on a Sunday morning. Well, you started the new year with a big bang by winning the Magic Millions on Cool and Gatter, but I'll bet you were pleased to see the post-Russian conquest got too close for comfort. Absolutely, John. It was um, yeah, it was always great to start a season off with a, a, a good carnival up at Magic Millions. Obviously, it's the first one 
off the camp rank, so mm. to speak. And uh, now we're diving into the autumn carnival with all the good horses starting to roll back in. But um, there's nothing like starting the, the season with a high and um, especially after bouncing through Melbourne, which was so successful. So really looking forward to the autumn and hopefully Cool and Gatter can um, make it a double. Will Cool and Gatter need to improve to win the slipper? Oh, of course she does. Um, there's no doubt about that. But she has got the scope and uh, talent to do that. And she's with the right stable as well. So mm. there's no reason why she can't. But they're absolutely, when they're coming off restricted sort of races like the Magic Millions, you, they still mm. need to improve. And But in saying that, uh, the Phillies look like they've got a, the, a, the wood on the Colts at the moment. Mm. At the moment. But um, she's definitely the benchmark. Have you committed to Cool and Gatter for the slipper? Uh, not, not as yet. Um, she's going to have a lead-up run in either the Sweet Embrace or the Riesling, and then we'll make a decision from there. But mm. all, all's going well as long as she keeps that picket fence in place and um, and she looks the benchmark. She'll definitely be probably well and well on top anyway. Mm, you rode a pretty smart filly in the English Millennium on Saturday, Paris Dior, terrific run. Yeah, stunning filly. Um, she's a, she's got the best attitude of any horse going around. Um, mm. Very relaxed, but um, she put in a great performance. So it was, a, it was just um, tempo of the race that probably beat her there on Saturday, and um, but mm. she'll bounce through that okay. And um, I'm sure she's got bigger fish to fry. Mm. One subject getting plenty of airspace at the moment is the dilemma you're facing in deciding between Nature Strip and the Rising Star Home Affairs in the upcoming Lightning Stakes in Melbourne. It's a nice problem to have. Absolutely, John. It's, it, is, it is really lovely to have. Obviously, two very talented, well, arguably, Nature Strip's the best friend in the, in the world, and um, hopefully Home Affairs will get there one day. But um, they're both very talented, and they're both clashing in the, mm. obviously, the Lightning over a 1,000 metres, which will be very interesting, and um, it will be... Uh, until I have to make the decision, I'll, I'll be having a few sleepless nights. So obviously, um, yeah. it's a very important race to to um, start off with those sprinters, and um, I've got to get it right. So I'll be definitely yeah. nailing down the the form uh, over the next few days. Let's talk about this horse they call the Beast Nature Strip. When you first started to ride him, he was a very aggressive horse. He would have run through a brick wall. There was no stopping him, was there back then? Yeah, absolutely. He was um, very fierce. He was very enthusiastic, and just um, he, as it as it's well documented, and everyone, everyone knows he's he's not the he's not blistering out of the gates. But once he goes five or six strides, then he's off and gone, and he's got a, mm. a mind of his own. He's very enthusiastic, very competitive horse, and he and he just wants to get out and get it done pretty quickly. But yeah. um, we're slowly seeing a, a, a change with him. Obviously, Chris Waller and his stable have done a marvellous job with him over the years, and he's slowly, slowly coming back. Mm. But he had to come back to reach the heights he was going to reach. He had to harness a, a half a length to a length more mm. energy than he had been doing. And um, and obviously, with all those talented horses, um, it comes with the tricks and the trades. They obviously Chris has done a good job in and and doing that, and and now a, a seven or eight time Group One winner is mm. just quite remarkable. You've won nine on him altogether, including seven Group Ones. The Everest, of course, was the jewel in the crown at his third attempt in the race. He was so relaxed in the run in the Everest, coming to the turn, where he led from Wild Ruler, 
who's an improver, home affairs, and Eduardo, you must have been in disbelief the way he travelled. Yeah, it was a pretty good lineup that day too. So um, the, the Everest was the icing on the cake for all the connections, and it was great for the horse to obviously get that on the mantelpiece as well because he's um, he's won basically every great sprint race in in Australia, mm-hmm. and that was the one that was eluding him. But um, I, I think he's got obviously um, overseas targets in mind, and um, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, being the ripe old old age he is, he's in the career best form, and now's the time to tackle the, yeah. the world because he has got the rating of the highest sprinter in the world at the moment. Mm. The irony is, you know, after the Everest, that half a stride more and Mask Crusader knocks him off. His run was unbelievable, Mask Crusader. You must have got a shock when he suddenly appeared. Yeah, for sure. But in saying that, we're, we're um we are competing against the best sprinters in the world, so the margins are never going to be uh, huge um, at that level. And there's always he's always the sitting duck, so he's always a horse that's always vulnerable the last 50 to 20 meters of his races, and we expect that. And that's why, obviously, things have to go really right the first half for him to to win those sort of races because there's no room for error. And when you're competing against top sprinters like Eduardo, Home Affairs and Mask Crusaders of likes, it's, um, mm. he does a marvellous job to sustain that gallop that he does. Yes. Well, James, I take it then that there's already been talk of Nature Strip going to Royal Ascot. You'd think he'd be an absolute sensation in races like the King's Stand and the Golden Jubilee wouldn't you love to ride him down that straight at Royal Ascot <laughs> with the royal family in attendance? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'd be a great thrill, that's for sure, especially with him bowling up that uh, inclined track that, like Ascot's got. Um, mm. It's a beauty. So I reckon he'd really enjoy it, especially the, I think the five furlongs would suit him down to the ground because it's more like a, a testing 1100 there. Mm. And um, I, I think it's right up his alley, to be fair. But um, it would be great to, if they do take him over, be great to see him there, and I'll definitely be putting my name in the hat for the ride for sure. Mm, I don't think there's much doubt about who'll be riding <laughs> if he goes. <laughs> now, James, you've won 10 on Very Elegant, including eight Group 1. She's a totally different animal to Nature Strip. The big boy at his worst uh, would have nicked off. This girl is simply better if you get off her mouth. She's still very touchy in the steering box, but... Nowadays, <laughs> you can talk her down, can't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. She's come a long way, very like, very much like the big boy that we just spoke about. But mm. she's she's just a marble. I, I just I, I'm in disbelief every time she comes back. She just seems to improve, and it's and it's quite remarkable, really, just the longevity she's had and the improvement she's shown throughout her career. And um, she's seven years old now and she's obviously got lofty and t- targets overseas as well. But for what she's done in her career, I, I just never thought she would ever reach the heights, but that's just a testament to her ability in, in terms of improving mm. with each preparation. Again, Chris Waller and, and his team, do they do a great job. Um, obviously, she's lightly raced every prep. She only has three or four or five starts throughout the season and um, she's obviously knocked some big targets and often uh, with the Melbourne Cup, the biggest of them all. But um, look, she's been close in some great races as well um, in Sydney with the Queen Elizabeth. So I think that's one race that's eluding her at the moment and and I'm sure she'll get her chance to to reap the awards there this year. 
Well, you might be missing from Sydney Racing for a few weeks when you combine June at Royal Ascot and early November at Longchamp in Paris. Yeah, it's a it's a good problem to have. I <laughs> I would say that, but um, they're both. Yeah, it, it, look, there's always a lot of water, as you know, to go under the bridge mm. in terms of horses and um, and travelling and that kind of stuff. But um, they're definitely good enough to have their place in those sort mm. of fields. And um, I, I would love to see it, that's for sure. But, um, mm. yeah, I'd, I'd love to go over and ride at uh, Longchamp and the Royal Ascot. be fantastic experience. Had anybody said to you 12 months ago that Very Elegant would travel kindly in a two-mile race, you would have <laughs> shaken your head in disbelief. Now, in the yeah. Cup, not only did she travel kindly, James, and I looked at the replay again the other day, she looked the winner a mile from home. Did you get the same feeling? She did, didn't she? Yeah, I did. I, 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 was, I couldn't believe how, how well it, it was almost too good to be true, to be honest with you. And mm. from the 800, I just, like, obviously we've done our form and, and I was thinking to myself, well, there's not a horse that can come from behind her oh. and beat her. So there's only two horses in front of her incentivised, with, which was the hardest to beat. But I looked up at the 600 and I was travelling that well and incentivised it to come off the bridle. He always finds a bit off the bridle, but mm. this horse is a, a, a eight-time Group 1 winner and there wasn't an eight-time Group 1 winner in that field or, mm. or there will never be a group eight-time Group 1 winner ever come out of that field in terms of what they, the, those horses can't reach her heights. And um, she mm. was just incredible. Even though she carried a lot of weight, um, she she just exploded at the 400 and it was all over. But um, yeah. I, th- I really do think her, she's a out-and-out proper stayer and, and for her to win over 14 a mile, 2,000, that's just class alone. Isn't it? And um, yeah. she's, she's only been over those trips a few times and arguably she's unbeaten when mm. she gets out to those trips. Yeah. A cup win means a lot to any jockey, but it seems to be the holy grail to New Zealand jockeys. You would have been watching Melbourne Cups on television from a very early age, dreaming the impossible dream. You're always fairly animated after a major win, but you were on a massive high after the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, no doubt. Um, like you just said, I've been watching it since I was five, six years old. I still remember Melbourne Cups media puzzle was just one that sprung to mind. But um, it was it's definitely the biggest highlight I've ever had and um, the race I've always wanted to win and compete in um, as a kid. And we we're just so lucky to be in a position where we can ride in it. Um, at least once a year, and oh well, once a year, and um, and to ride a, a, a horse like Very Elegant, who's meant so much to me over the years, mm. we've had a great association, and to get that one was just an uh, just an unbelievable thrill. And mm. if I could ever have that highlight again, I'd just jump at the opportunity because it was just something else. You'd had two previous placings in the Cup, hadn't you? You ran second on Fiorente, and you ran third on Hartnell. Yes, yeah. I, I, Fiorente was my first ride in the cup for Gay Waterhouse um, and she just purchased that horse from overseas and it was the first run in the Melbourne Cup down here. So he was a great old horse and um, Damien Oliver won on him the year after. So mm. he was just such a talented horse and um, and same with Hartnell. Well, 
his career over the years has just been phenomenal as well. He's just mm. so unlucky to bump into a horse of a lifetime in Winx mm. every time. I'll talk to you more about Hartnell a little later. Getting back to Very Elegant, if she goes to Paris, she'll go from early summer in Sydney to a French autumn for the Ark. Now, James, the physiology of the mare is obviously under pressure when she's switching hemispheres. It's a big ask. It's a huge ask, but uh, I suppose there's no man in the, in the business like Chris Waller to get a there in prime in pristine order, and um, and I'm sure he'll he'll do it here. He he leaves no stone unturned, and um, one thing about very elegant, she definitely enjoys racing in the autumn. So hopefully it just transpires straight over there. Yes, I got to ask you about Zaki, one of the most improved horses in the world, no doubt. When he left England, he'd won two Group Twos and one listed race. In Australia, he's won a McKinnon, a Hollandale, the new race in Brisbane, the Q22, and the Doomben Cup by seven lengths, if you please. How's he going? Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a beauty, this horse. And um, one thing I'd say about him, he's the most um, – he, he needs confidence. He's the most confident sort of horse, and, and that's how it's transpired throughout his races. He's a – He's an up, free rolling, bowling horse, and when he got when he got a bit of confidence after his first win one day, he never looked back. He just took Brisbane by storm, and then he come back in really good order. He put in a dominant performance over seven furlongs. He's just a real confident sort of horse, and um, he's in for a really good prep again. Annabelle Nisham acquired him from Europe uh, as a lightly race sort of horse, older mm-hmm. horse. Mm. with a few niggling problems and she's just ironed them out beautifully and she's got a real horse on her hands here. And, look, if there's one to to beat in a Queen Elizabeth in terms of a clash, it's going to be a a pretty exciting clash with Very Elegant and Zaki, that's for sure. Yeah, and again, you've got the painful painful (laughs) decision ahead of you. Yeah, but it is. It's 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 a hard one, but it's a good position, like you said before. But it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to... definitely going to hurt that one because I've had a great association with both trainers and, and connections as well as the horses, obviously. But um, mm. and, and my win record on Zaki as well as um, very yeah. elegant is so high. So mm. it'd be, it's going to be a tough one, that's for sure. We'll look at some of your favourite horses a bit later, James. But for now, I'd like to track your journey from childhood days in the Waikato in New Zealand. Now, is it true... We read these stories on the internet all the time. Is it true that early in life, racing wasn't one of your priorities? You were weighing up between a dream of becoming an all-black or owning a dairy farm. Is that true? Absolutely, yeah. I suppose it's they start every kid growing up in New Zealand they all grow up as wanting to be an all-black, and then obviously size and weight. Yeah. It makes that decision for me anyway, and um, and then they, we, but we played rugby all the way through school right to our left school, and um, but we had a real passion for dairy farming, and obviously my family are hugely into it, um, with my uncles all having their own dairy farms, um, my grandparents had dairy farms, so it was a thing that we always had to work on um, throughout seven days a week, every weekend we were there milking cows, and mm-hmm. uh, had a real passion for it, but. There's always one problem. You, 
I, I didn't know how I was going to afford a dairy farm, so <laughs> I've, I've, I've ended up started riding racehorses and um, to try and buy my first dairy farm. And um, as it's turned out, it's been a, a blessing in disguise and I've really enjoyed it. And wasn't it the great jockey Lance O'Sullivan who recommended that you should pursue a career as a jockey if you wanted to buy a dairy farm? Yeah, correct. I met um, Lance when I was very, very young, probably five, six, seven, I'm around that age anyway, at the Caracas sales one year. And um, I, I went up to Lance and I said, I said, what age was when when what age were you when you bought your first dairy farm? And he said, I was 21 years old. Mm. He, I said, how did you do it? And he he said, well, I've become a, a successful jockey and um and 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 built my dairy farms up there. I reckon he. I reckon Lance would have probably eight to ten dairy farms right now in Matamata, and he, he probably owns half of Matamata. So he's been a, such a successful jockey and, <laughs> and and very astute with his money. But um, yeah, he's he's got a beautiful, one of the best look, best immaculate dairy farms in the Waikato, without mm. saying. Half of Matamata, eh? <laughs> yeah, I reckon he would, well, especially the O'Sullivan family, anyway. <laughs> Your favourite Aussie jockey at that time was Brett Preble who happened to call into your father's stables one day, somebody had the presence of mind to snap a picture and that photo, as soon as you won the cup on Very Elegant, that photo went feral. Yeah, no, that that was right. Um, Brett Preble obviously has a great association with Terry O'Sullivan and Terry O'Sullivan is um, great friends with my father, dad and... um, that he come over to school a horse um, for Terry and to give it a test out to try and buy. And then that was the first time I met Brett. And I was just starting out riding riding um, the thoroughbreds at that time. I was obviously mm. 13, 12, 13 years old. And um, i just finished track work and got to meet Brett. And Brett was kind enough to send over a couple of whips mm. and um, – one made in Sunline's colours, and it, I thought that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it's never left me. I've always watched him. Um, and, um, yeah, he's been a great mentor. And you've still got the whips, priceless memorabilia. I, I actually do. I, I, I would do at home. Obviously, mum keeps everything, as, as all mums do, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's um, somewhere in the house there. Around that time, Jim Cassidy and Shane Dye were huge names in Australian racing. Shane had won a Melbourne Cup. Jimmy had won two. Were they inspirations to a young New Zealand jockey at that stage of your life? Yeah, for sure. And then I was I was lucky enough to get to know them as time goes on, and um, they've been a huge help over the years. Uh, obviously, Kiwis just love seeing people do well, and um, and and they've been really supportive throughout my career. And I was lucky enough to I wasn't. Riding with Shane, but I was lucky enough to ride with Jimmy Cassidy, and and mm. to watch him ride here in Sydney was just simply awesome because he he's he was just phenomenal on a horse and mm. um, and learned so much just watching them go about their business in the normal jockey room at, here in Sydney when I first moved over. But um, yeah, obviously the likes of Darren Beedman, who um, who've got great respect and I still think is the greatest jockey to grace the turf here in Australia. So. Just to be able to ride with people like that was it was just incredible, and um, not not just picking up on little things mm. and what they do is just um, a real great experience to have. It's not widely known that you had a short stint in Ireland, 
when you were 18. How did that come about? Yeah, so I went over to Ireland when I was about 17 or 18 years old, very early on, and um, that came about it with Sir Peter Vella, who's who's arguably um, one of my biggest supporters and still is, and have mm. so much contact now. Um, he he said it would be great um, great experience for you to <laughs> leave get get out of home, leave mm. mum and um, fend for yourself for, for a bit, and um, get over to Ireland and. He set me up with one of his trainers that he had horses with at that particular time, Fozzie Stack. Mm. And um, Fozzie was just absolutely fantastic to me um, and um, gave me a few rides. And I was lucky enough to ride for um, him for three months, as well as John Ox. And that was mm. an invaluable experience I ever had. And I, after that year, I went back several years afterwards mm. uh, each year. And it was, um, it was the, probably the making of me, to be fair. Mm. Would I be correct in saying that the two New Zealand group ones, to give you the most satisfaction, were the 2012 Auckland Cup on She Sensational and a New Zealand derby on a horse you speak very highly of, the Roger James trained Silent Achiever? Yeah, absolutely. They were they were fantastic mares to me um, over, over the, that, that period where we were Every jockey's trying to make their mark, and um, she's, she's sensational's cut win was it was it was simply awesome. Uh, two reasons was the one I, I hold Ellerslie really close to my heart as one of my favourite tracks, mm. and and Alan Sharrick who trained the horse, he was a great supporter of, of myself when I was a four kilo claimer, and I rode a, a lot of good horses for him. Mm. Um, Silent Achiever, obviously with the first Derby winner. Um, just love, love classic sort of races, the Oaks, the Derbies. I, just, I really, really enjoy riding in them. And there's, and every every year I'd love to win a Derby or an Oaks. So I think it's just mm. fantastic races in terms of stamina as well as class. And it takes a really good three-year-old to win those sort of races. And she was such such a dominant, dominant three-year-old filly, silent achiever. Mm. Um, and she had really good clashes with a great horse called Ocean Park that went on to win a Cox Plate. Mm. So it just showed two two great horses clashing as three-year-olds and, and both going on with it as four. It was just incredible. Mm. Another very good filly brought you to Brisbane, I think, in 2011 uh, to win two very important races, the Doombin Roses and the Queensland Oaks, and that filly was called Scarlet Lady. Now, that's when you met John O'Shea for the first time, James. In fact, you rode a couple of horses for him over that winter carnival. No winners, but you forged a very good friendship, and a little later on, John suggested you should come to Sydney and finish your apprenticeship with him. Yeah, that's correct. So, so um, Scarlet Lady, she had a she had a picket fence next to her name, and she'd come over to Brisbane Carnival as a as a boom three year old. She won the Doom and Roses really really well, and then started favourite in the Oaks, and and Julie saluted there. And she was a great great filly for Max Whitby, who's uh, as everyone knows, is character of racing and and a big 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 owner. So it was great to forge that partnership there and, and we're still great friends. And um, to meet John O'Shea at that particular carnival was fantastic. And um, John um, obviously 
it's well documented. He's been a great supporter of mine, but that's where it all first started when he, he threw me a couple of rides that day. And, um, mm. and then I went home and, and then, and then he got me back again, um, for a little stint, but, um, John's was to the day still backing me. And, uh, he's, uh, he was, he was, um, very supportive of getting me over here at, um, that particular time. Mm. James, I'll get you to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about a very significant horse in your career. His New Zealand name was Dundeal, but here in Australia, he was known as It's a Dundeal, and he was very, very good to you. Back after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. My special guest is champion jockey James McDonald, and we're reminiscing a little bit and we're talking now about Dundeal. You'd won a maiden on him in New Zealand, and then you were delighted to accept Murray Baker's invitation to ride him in Australia, where they called him It's a Dundeal for obvious reasons. You rode him in 17 races here for nine wins, six group ones. You know, apart from Very Elegant and Nature Strip and one or two others, he played a big part in your career in Australia. Yeah, that's right. He, he's probably the biggest part, to be fair. Uh, he come along at, at the most perfect time. Um, I was le- just leaving my apprenticeship. I was working very closely with John and um, John O'Shea, and he come along at the, that perfect time where he was trans. He was having a transition period into mm. two-year-old to three-year-old and he took he took his three-year-old season by storm, winning the Triple Crown and, and just in a romp as well. Mm. But just an absolutely phenomenal racehorse, um, trained by an absolutely superstar who's now he's sadly retired mm. only a couple of days ago and Murray Baker and um, Murray, Murray had him – Every time, just trained to to the T, and um, he mm. was he, he was perfect. He was just the best racehorse. Mm. Push button, could have him anywhere. Mm. Turn of speed, sustained speed. He was just an absolutely phenomenal racehorse. And, and now to see him do it at stud so mm. su- successfully um, is a is a real um, real privilege to watch. That's for sure. Mm. His Australian Derby win, you know, was probably the most impressive since Tullock. 56 years earlier. Tullock won by six lengths and so did It's a Done Deal. You wouldn't believe you could win a derby by six lengths. <laughs> no, you couldn't. But he 
<laughs> to just embarrass it a little bit. He probably could have won by a bit further if I, <laughs> if I let him go. Yeah, so goodness it, me. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing performance. Obviously, small field gets back and he just rattled home. But he was he was the most push button horse and um, and he could just do anything with him. And for him to come along at a time where I was about 20 years old and, and coming out of my apprenticeship, he, he just really set me on an upward spiral pretty yeah. much straight away. And um, that's why he's probably the most um, significant horse in my career in terms of timing and, and yeah. how good he was. It was just um, amazing. Only a little bloke, wasn't he? He was a little little bloke, but he, if you told him that, you would he, he would have been a boxer, that's for sure, if he was a human <laughs> because he, he would have put one on your chin if you told him that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John O'Shea's move to the Godolphin Empire didn't attract as much publicity as his hasty departure did three years later. Now, you were his number one jockey during that period, and like everybody else in the place, you fell in love with Hartnell. You may not be aware you rode him 14 times. You won five on him, two Group 1s, you ran third in a Melbourne Cup and second in a Cox Plate. What was it about this horse? Uh, he was an absolutely star. Um, the moment he got off off the um, plane from Europe, um, he just oozed so much quality, had so much presence about him, and he was the most beautiful looking horse that you would ever see in a in a racing yard. He, mm. he just, and that, I think that what uh, most people fell in love with was just his presence around the stable. Um, he, he he was just the most magnificent looking horse, yeah. and then, and then to transpire to a, a race. Race. He was again. He was a lovely push button horse. Uh, one of my favourite wins on him was the BM. Well, was the old BMW um, oh. over twenty four hundred, and he beat the star Japanese horse coming from Japan, and they had big, big wraps on him. And um, mm. Hartnell dealt to him that day, and and we fell in love with him ever since. Um, mm. Just a marvellous racehorse. But John had a really good hand on him. He he really placed him well, and um, he got shooting. He, he shot through the grades really quickly to mm. run in every major, uh, basically in in Australia. So mm. it, just a marvellous horse. Mm. Your only golden slipper win to date was on Moss Fun for Team Hawks in 2014. <coughs> Almost eight years, James. You're due for another one. Cool and gather. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Anyway, so um, um, yeah, that was that was really cool to obviously knock my first major off in the golden slipper. Uh, one or four, so we're try- we're obviously trying to win a second one if we can, hopefully soon. But Moss Fun was a, a marvelous little filly. Um, obviously had that slipper hoodoo on her, um, as mm. as it's well spoken about. That didn't win another race afterwards, but she she won the English Nursery. She went on to win a, I think it was a Riesling or a Sweden Brace on mm. on route to the Golden Slipper, and she got a wet Golden Slipper and shot up the rails there. So it was mm. um, it was really cool, obviously to. To win a golden slipper, obviously the most prestigious two-year-old race in Australia, and um, mm. yeah, to do it on such a little classy little filly was really special. Easily the lowest point in your career so far was the hefty disqualification handed down by stewards at the end of 2016, when it was determined that you had a $1,000 bet on a horse called Astern having his first race start. The horse won, you had a little collect, and the stewards found out about it. 
you were stunned by the length of the disqualification. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was um, it was a silly mistake at the time, and uh, things were going so well. Obviously, but, um, a stable rider for Godolphin and John O'Shea, and um, yeah, things were sailing around. And just to make a stupid mistake was really disappointing, not only for myself but um, more for the people who supported me most, and John O'Shea, Sir Peter Vella, my family, mum and dad, and that. And so it was really hard pill to swallow. We had to cop it on the chin and move on pretty quickly. And um, to get 18 months, especially at a time where things were flying along so well, um, mm. yeah, it was very disappointing on, mm. on my behalf. And um, in safe to say, it will never happen again, that's for sure, because it mm. was um, a costly mistake. You gave yourself a few uppercuts, did you? Well, yeah. I, I, obviously, I was pretty scared to go and... Um, see John obviously um, John's a, t- a tough t- taskmaster he wears his heart <laughs> on his sleeve and he and he he um, obviously a great supporter of mine and he, he treats me so well mm. and to to go and um, break the news to him was Ooh. probably one of the hardest things I had to do um, especially mm. when he put so much faith in me and same with his family it was um, a pretty tough pill to swallow but um, in saying that he, he he was the m- most supportive person that was around at that time and he he um he was there every step of the way and not only not only the good times but the bad times as well so yeah. he's, I, I owe him a lot old Johnny at Sheep. Now looking back now there were one or two positives to come out of the whole mess. You had a lovely overseas holiday for one thing with your new partner. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny how things happen. I suppose one door opens, another oh, one door closes, another one opens. But um, it was right at the time where Caitlin and I had just started off seeing each other, and um, it was probably a blessing in disguise for that reason. In terms of I was able to, um, well, she was based in Melbourne, I was based in Sydney, so it was always going to be a hard to work out to see each other all the time, and. Um, but with that happening for 18 months, we got to spend a lot of time together. We travelled the world and uh, got to live like uh, a child, my childhood um, life again, and mm. um, which probably didn't really happen as in terms of when you're an apprentice, you're so busy, you're working hard, and mm. and we so we got to experience that together. And then now she's moved to Sydney, and uh, we, we've got a really good, really good life together now, and uh, mm. things are sailing pretty smoothly. <laughs> Caitlin, of course, was a fourth-generation jockey who quit the saddle only four years ago after a good career. In fact, that girl won a Group 1 William Reed Stakes on Silent Sedition. Now, does she have any input about your riding, James? When you get home on a Saturday night, is she ever prone to suggesting that you could have done something differently on a horse? Absolutely, and I've learned not to argue anymore. So I just <laughs> cop it on the chin and and uh, listen, and then hopefully it brushes over pretty quickly. But no, she's she's been a huge supporter, and uh, and um, again, she it's great to have someone that wears their heart heart on their sleeve and and has yeah. such a great interest in it. Obviously, been there, done it all before, ridden Group One mm. winner, um, experienced. The, the lifestyle we have to go through every day of the week and losing weight as mm. such. Um, the Obviously, during carnival periods, it's very busy. And um, she's been, yeah, a, a rock through the whole situation, especially when she's coming, when when uh, life was at a 
at the probably the lowest mm. of my career and now experience obviously the Melbourne Cup with an Everest with the highest. So it's um it's yeah. great for all those people that um stuck by me and um yeah, now we're we're all happy, happy as Larry. Lovely. Now James, has she ever actually used that ancient expression in racing? What the hell were you doing on that? <laughs> yes, she has plenty of times. <laughs> I think it happens every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, she obviously with her working on Channel Seven, she doesn't miss a beat now because they're no. watching her and Bruce and Hamish and Jason Richardson. They're all they're all watching them closely, and um, yeah, we're fortunate to have eight or nine rides a day. So she's always there's always got to be one bad one, doesn't there? But uh, she's yeah. always commenting and doesn't miss a trick. So no, she- yeah, we're pretty pretty good she'd be taking a few notes you can bet your life <laughs> yeah for sure for now sure. you were involved in one of the most astonishing group one wins seen in recent years when you had your one and only race ride on the autumn sun in the Caulfield guineas now it wasn't the best guineas field ever assembled but he did sit three wide most of the way he did win by four and a half lengths. And I think at that time, you were needing a, a good group one. Yeah, you're bang on there, John. It was uh, it was um, right at the time where I'd just come back from disqualification. Chris Waller um, had had put a lot of faith in me to, um, as soon as I got back, I think I wrote a lot of winners from, and he was very supportive straight away. And um, he, he handed me the reins of the autumn sun Due to the reason um, Kerry McAvoy was in in Sydney for the Everest, and they clashed on the same day, and I was fortunate to have the keys for for the day um, mm. on the Autumn Sun, and to um, obviously win like he did was just a, a marvelous performance from the horse, and he was the most he was a gorgeous looking horse, very mm. big action. He loved to gallop into the ground, and um, he loved the mile, mm. and to for him to come back, he had a he had a beautiful record to his name, and uh, he's obviously retired to stud now. But um, really good horse, and to come along at that time as well. Obviously, everything's about time and time and place. Been at the right time and place, and um, he was that was one of them. Mm. You had only one race ride on Winks for a Group yeah. Two win. It was the Theo Marks uh, Theo Marks Stakes. You never got back on, James. You might have made the no. mistake of telling Huey you you rather liked her. Yeah, might have too. But I I, I reckon the way those two gentlemen handled Winks, I, I was actually glad I wasn't in the set. I I don't think she would have had the record she has now if um, Huey and Chris weren't together at that at that time for her career because um, the way she was handled and ridden every single time was just. Just incredible, incredible um, career to watch her unfold. Mm. And um, God, I was Huey must have nerves of steel because even watching some of those races where mm. I, I would have got itchy fingers or something like that. But mm. <laughs> Huey kept calm and um, and 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 handled the pressure so well. And um, obviously yeah. the cult following it just got every time she come back, it was more and more pressure on those. On um, Chris and Hugh mm. and um, and the horse and um, she was just a, mm. yeah, a, lot, a lot, horse of a lifetime, obviously. Chris Wallop supplies a big percentage of your rides, and you told me the other day that in booking jockeys nowadays, most of the big stables work twelve days ahead. 
I was gobsmacked. You barely get a Saturday race meeting over and you're being booked for rides the following Saturday week. It's unbelievable. How does it work? The old yeah, email cor- would get a run, wouldn't it? Yeah, correct. The emails do get a run. Um, but um, every 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 um, ride's done basically on the Monday Monday or Tuesday for a fortnight prior. Um, mm. Uh, yeah, two weeks in advance, or mm. yeah, twelve days in advance, and uh, that's how it seems to work now. Um, I, I'm not too sure if every state's the same, but here in Sydney it is, and obviously Chris has got big numbers. We get on so well, so we um, we tend to ride a, most of his horses, whatever we get offered, and um, it works very well. And he's got he's obviously a champion trainer, so it's it's just a very lucky position to be in to be able to ride mm. for those guys as well as Godolphin, John O'Shea, Peter Snowden, you name it. Mm. It's, it's just a great place to be riding at this at this point of time and lucky to be in the position I'm in. Every now and again, you do jump off a Waller horse or rather you decline uh, the offer of a ride from Chris to ride for another stable. You've obviously got a very good arrangement with him. Yeah, no, we, we work really well together and we um, – Obviously, we're working closely with the horses. I ride track work there on a Tuesday and Ramwick on a Thursday. So we get a good gist of what's um, happening. And um, at the end of the day, I am a freelance rider. but um, And uh, I, I try to ride the best horses in the in the particular races they're in, if, if, if possible. Mm. So um, at times, yeah, there is the odd occasion where we um, Chris would have a runner or two in a race and I'm on someone else's. And uh, it's um, it happens quite a lot. And, but in the same scenario where Chris Chris likes to use someone else for a particular horse and, and that's mm. just the way it goes. So, um, yeah, it works really well at the moment. And, um, yeah, we, we like I said before, we seem to know each other's um, mm. training regime pretty well and um, we yeah. ride them accordingly. So he's not offended when you decline a ride. He doesn't get the nose out of joint. Oh, it's like any trainer; they all do. <laughs> they all do, but yeah. uh, it, it just comes with the comes with the it, timing as well. I suppose it depends on what stage of the preparation horses are in as well. And yeah, yeah, if you've got a good association with one and you jump off, or well, obviously that um, it doesn't go down too well. That's for sure. But that's that's with anyone as well, owners, trainers. Um, I think you mm. you pick your mark. How do you cope with recent statements by blokes like Glenn Boss and Malcolm Johnston that you may well be the best jockey ever seen in Australasia? That puts a bit of pressure on you. Yeah, it does. But, yeah, I, I, I think you just – it's one of those things that it's, you're very very um, proud to have those statements, I suppose, and very humbled to receive them but um and especially from guys like those two the best in the business uh, especially um the way they their careers unfold you just you dream of having careers half as good as that so um we, we've got a long long way to go to before that and um hopefully we can keep striving for mm. for those goals and um hopefully one day they come true but um it won't be through lack of trying and lack of work ethic You were absolutely stunned a couple of years ago to be inducted into the New Zealand Racing Hall of Fame, the youngest jockey ever at only 27. There's another record you've broken. Yeah, that was um, 
very emotional night. Oh, I was, I was, obviously it didn't hit home until I actually got there, and um, yeah, it was something you don't take lightly. That's for sure, especially no. that kind of honour. And um, I, I, there was a few <laughs> tears shared. I was quite embarrassed actually by looking back on it, and <laughs> um, but it's it's just such a huge thing to be able to be a, inducted into one of those and um, and to be a proud Kiwi um, into the New Zealand Hall of Fame was just yeah. simply mind-blowing and I was, um, yeah, definitely probably got the better of me, the emotions, and, um, but, yeah, I, I, it's one of my highlights of my life, that's for sure. Had you not shown some emotion, James, I'm sure the public reaction would have been, he's a heartless son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, very normal. Took a leaf out of Chris Waller's book by putting a few tears on my on yeah. my face there. <laughs> Chris has shed a few, hasn't he? Yeah, has he what? <laughs> <laughs> Let me remind you of another record-breaking performance. In winning the 2021 ATC Sires Produce, Animo gave you 50 Group 1 wins. Now, James, no jockey in this part of the world has ever reached the half-century in faster time. I know you can't eat statistics, but it doesn't do any harm on the CV. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And uh, to do it in style on a fantastic cult like that too, he, he's a, obviously the dominant cult of his era. Um, and um, it, was, it was a great day um, to do it at Royal Ramwick, even better. And obviously for good Olfen, mm. it was really cool. But um, yeah, hopefully... Hopefully notch up the next uh, 50 and try and get to the 100 the fastest yeah. as well. But um, we've, got, we've got a bit of work to do before then. Yeah, just a very quick mention of Animo. He resumed in the Expressway Stakes recently at Rose Hill over the 1,200. On the day, James, he looked like he needed a mile, didn't he? Yeah, he did, but it was just the way the race was run. Um, the track was very biased that day in terms of leader-dominated um, mm. throughout the day. It was very quick. But um, he's he was the run of the race for sure. He's he's obviously returned in fantastic order. He was a bit a little bit above himself, so that will knock the edge off him. And um, he's the horse to beat leading into the Ramwick Guineas for sure. Mm. To use a hackneyed phrase, you've got an embarrassment of riches coming up when it comes to good rides over the autumn carnival. Now, one of them is a plain-looking filly with a Rolls-Royce engine <laughs> by the name of Espiona. Two starts, two brilliant wins in relatively easy company. But, gosh, she looks exciting. Is she the real deal or not? Yeah, she looks it anyway, but I hope I hope um, she doesn't make a liar of us. But um, at this stage, she she definitely ticking all the boxes. Um, I, I probably say, safely say you've watched a lot of races over, over the years and um, – have you ever seen a more dominant performance over a cut week like she put in there at Flemington? It was quite oh. phenomenal, wasn't it? Mm. And uh, if she should win a Group 1 or 2, it'll be a triumph for syndication because Denise Martin identified Espiona as a yearling and it's great to see her going around for many owners in the purple with the white stars. Yeah, it's awesome to see that because uh, so many people get to enjoy enjoyment of it. Get the enjoyment out of her because um, obviously there's a lot of owners involved and um, and it's very hard to get a good horse and and uh, hopefully she is the superstar 
that she, uh, that, the, the, she looks like she's going to be well, at this stage anyway. But um, she's going to have her toughest test to date in seven days' time. And um, it's very – it's very. Oh, I'm looking forward to it in, as well as the owners as well mm. um, to see her return in the light fingers. And, um, and that's going to be no pushover sort of race. She's going to be up against it. But uh, mm. we've got a lot of faith in this little filly and um, – like you said before, she's got a. She's not much to look at, but she's got a Rolls Royce engine in her. Mm. She's uh, inexperienced; only two starts to date. Does she give you the impression that won't be a problem? Is she sensible and tractable, and seems to know what she's doing already? Yeah, she is. Um, she's obviously still not the complete um, article there. She's she's um, she's got a little little um, habits of just missing the kick half a length at times, mm. but that's only through an experience. Um, she can race a little bit enthusiastic through the middle stages of races that she's been in so far. Um, so you just wait till she irons those. They're not even problems, but just mm. little um, little things that at the highest level might affect her in time. But if she's that good, she she'll get, mm. she obviously overcomes them. But, yeah, um, yeah she's – Far from the complete article, and um, and I'm sure um, if it's not this preparation, then we'll see a pretty damn good horse in the spring anyway. Mm. Well, it's very good of you to let me intrude on your Sunday downtime, pretty rare commodity downtime for you. You've just turned 30, and that reminds me of something the great George Moore told me many years ago, James. He said, in any part of the world... Jockeys are just coming to their peak at 30. That's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? Well, I hope so anyway. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've been so, so lucky with our career so far and, and just the support, ongoing support each and every season is quite quite remarkable. And, um, yeah, well, hopefully, um, hopefully there's good things in store from the next uh, 10 to 15 years because, um, mm. yeah, if that's, if that's true, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun. Mm. Punters uh, learn to read the styles of jockeys and it's very obvious watching you in any race anywhere that you don't go for them until it is absolutely the last resort. So when we see you giving one a dig up coming up the rise at Randwick, there's cause for concern. <laughs> I suppose it's like anyone. I suppose yeah. <laughs> they are only judging the, the how you how you're going at that point in time. But um, yeah, we're we're lucky. We ride a few Ferraris up that Ramwick Hill, and they mm. they tend not to need to go for them at times. But um, AKA Animo uh, when he got let loose. But um, mm. yeah, no, we we obviously we pride ourselves on on um, feel, and I reckon Jimmy Cassie would be in the same same with Darren Beeman. It's obviously. Just judging the what animal you're on and and horsemanship and trying to get the best out of it and if that's the way well it doesn't always work but um, all you can do is your best. Thank you very much, James McDonald, for giving us so much time on a Sunday morning on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Absolute pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me. With another successful classic sale done and dusted. The spotlight now switches to Oakland's junction in Melbourne, where 793 yearlings have been catalogued for the English Premier Sale on February 27 and 28 and March the 1st. 
The progeny of 121 proven sires will be offered, while 16 impressive first-season sires will be represented. International stallions like Kingman, Medagliadoro, Lord Canaloa and Camelot will also have progeny offered during the premier sale. More than half of the yearlings on offer are Super Vobus nominated. Since 2019, Premier graduates have won 20 open races around Australia worth $1 million or more. The sale has produced 19 Group 1 winning graduates since 2018, 11 of which could have been purchased for $100,000 or less. The catalogue is now available for the English Premier Yearling Sale commencing on Sunday, February 27th.